We are back. Maybe I just wanted to start off uh, the second part uh, with this question. Um, do you think sometimes academics, I think you probably answered it to some extent and there, there were some people asking this as well. Academics like us, we are, we are really living in our own liberal bubble and uh, in our ivory towers and even the language that we use and the causes that we champion. Uh, are really detached uh, from the wider society and the general populace. Do you, do you think that's a fair criticism? And and uh, it's a criticism that has been put forth uh, with regards to academics. So maybe uh, Yoyan can answer this. All three of you, I just wanted your thoughts on this. Well, well thanks for the opportunity to address that. I mean, it is a, a question, uh, a, a criticism that is often... Uh, leveled at academics. <clears throat> uh, am I liberal? Yes. I think that's true of <laughs> Donald too, in case you haven't guessed. Um, <laughs> is, is there such a thing as a liberal bubble? Yes. Uh, do I think I'm in a liberal bubble? No. Right. Um, uh, I think I'm in other kinds of bubbles. Uh, uh, number one, uh, I'm in an uh, upper middle class bubble that is very hard to get out of. Uh, I think class is a far more is a far more uh, pernicious bubble than, than political ideology, uh, which is why, by the way, I, I, I was so, um, uh, my, my, my mind was blown by this book, right? Uh, uh, Yuen's um, uh, This is What Inequality Looks Like, because it, it precisely is the kind of thing that, uh, that uh, provokes us and uh, punctures that bubble, you know, better than anything else that I've read. And so I would uh, like to hear from you, Ian, on this as well. Um, <clears throat> the, wh why, why am I confident that I'm not guilty of being in a liberal bubble? Because, uh, you know, what, what would be the evidence of it? It would be, for example, you know, if I've ever said that, uh, you know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm pushing for more civil liberties and press freedom because that's how we Singaporeans think. I've never made that argument, right? Mm -hmm. uh, quite, quite the contrary. <laughs> for, for more than 20 years, a lot of my research has been looking at why is it the majority of Singaporeans are not in favor of uh, press freedom or civil liberties and so on, right? Uh, why is it that uh, most Singaporeans are, in fact, illiberal? Uh, so I've uh, absolutely no illusions that uh, my liberal sentiments um, are uh, embraced by the majority, and, and I don't think that many of my views are embraced by the majority. That doesn't make me wrong, yeah? uh, but it certainly does um, uh, you know, uh, give me cause for uh, pause. Yeah? Um, and I, sh I should also, in, in defense of academics, I should say that you know, it is part of our discipline um, no matter what, uh, uh, you know, what subject you study and so on, uh, it is part of our practice uh, to always uh, question ourselves. I mean, the moment we have a hunch, the moment we have a hypothesis, uh, uh, we are trained to be the worst possible enemies of our own ideas. That's what the discipline of verification is all about. Uh, we go through this process of trying to find the best arguments that could destroy our own arguments, and that is how we uh, 
uh, try to improve um, our own ideas. It just it just comes with the job. I'm not saying that we are we always uh, uh, succeed, but you know we work very very hard at it. And and certainly um, uh, you know on the point of uh, where on the political spectrum uh, we may lean towards as individuals, uh, you know, are we able to correct for that based on the evidence out there? Uh, you know, I I've not I can't remember anything I've written that uh, could be accused of uh, not taking into account the the, uh, the the reality that most Singaporeans do not think like me, right? Um, but like I said, I mean, there, there are other blind spots that I still struggle with. You know, I, I still, for example, um, am not sure uh, how to address the fact that uh, I cannot be anything other than uh, uh, privileged uh, uh, upper middle class uh, Singaporean in a world that is uh, you know, uh, with rampant poverty and uh, and inequality. So yes, there is such a thing as brown privilege too, right? <laughs> well, I'd like to hear from you, Yen, actually. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think... Can you hear me on yeah. both sides? Yeah. I, I think... You know, I, I think that our society is, is quite diverse in reality, right? Which, which, means, um, which means not just the things we typically think that it means, you know, that we are multicultural and multi-religious and all those things, which are of course true, but, but accompanying that, um, what that implies is that people exist in, in, in many different bubbles, you know, meaning very different, very diverse range of worldviews, sensibilities, registers. And we live together in this city where we move in and out of different levels, you know, precisely because we are, in fact, a very diverse society. I think that, uh, as a sociologist, you know, from a, from a research perspective, I, I try to, I suppose, um, bring myself to these different worlds, you know, and try to see these different perspectives and try to try my best to kind of, um, even if I don't fully um, understand all of these different worlds and different bubbles, to speak, you know, but to try to represent as best I can, right, the, the variety and the variation, because I think that that is the lived reality of, of Singaporeans, you know, that, that we are not in singular spaces, but in these multiple spaces. And I think as a sociologist who's quite interested in public sociology, this also means kind of bringing research and bringing the work to different audiences. And I think that that experience also has, has informed my view that, again, people are coming from lots of different places with uh, different biases, different presumptions, you know, different things that, that, they're, that they're interested in. And you can't have a singular message for all these audiences, you know, and learning to, in some ways, navigate that variation is, is I think, a very important and, and, and uh, vital part of being um, an academic in Singapore today. Wow. All right. So... Did Donald, Donald yeah. did you want to say something? No, no, that's great, yeah. No, I think I, I agree with Charion. Um, yeah, I'm clearly a liberal. Uh, as I said at, at the outset, you know, I, in many ways, part of the, or at least used to be part of the elite, uh, most of my friends, not just many of my friends, but actually most of my friends 
belongs, still belong to that, uh, uh, what Michael Barr calls the ruling elite of Singapore. And I actually happen to like my friends very much. Uh, I'm not one of those people who you know, wishes he has new friends. So, so I mean, that, that's part of the motivation for writing this book, right? Because I think my friends could do with a bit of, you know, the, 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 the kind of uh, supporters, you know, the, the kind of people who write in defense of elite Singapore system of elite governance, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it ranges from not particularly effective or credible to people you wish didn't write on your behalf, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, nominally, I'm nominally and culturally a Christian, but when I see how the evangelical Christians in the U.S. Uh, support Trump, I'm embarrassed to be associated with them. So sometimes if I, I, I think if I were a member of the PP, I'll be quite embarrassed by some of the company my you know, the, the company that the party chooses, chooses to keep. Uh, so, so, and if you look at the kind of policy prescriptions or policy positions I've put out, actually they represent very middle of the road, middle class kind of suggestions, right? Uh, more universal uh, benefits like universal pensions, universal childcare. These are the things that middle class voters can get behind, right? Uh, higher wealth taxes, right? These are the kind of things that Middle class uh, voters can 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 support and and also working class too, right? Uh, so it's not just um, and 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 you know back to being a liberal uh, at heart. I mean, what 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 do we liberals believe in? Essentially, we believe in the importance of protecting rights and liberties of everyone. We believe in equality, right? Uh, social justice. We believe in the idea of progress. Right? I think one thing that distinguishes liberals from conservatives is. Liberals are eternal optimists, right? Conservatives are, have a dimmer view of human nature. Uh, uh, you know, they, they fear change, right? Liberals, we think, even if the arc, as, as Martin Luther King says, even if the arc of, uh, you know, moral, of, of moral progress is, the moral arc of the universe is long, uh, it bends towards justice. So, so we are inherently optimistic about, you know, uh, social progress, social change. And I think, I've, and, and you know, I, I think for a long time, as, especially in the last 30 years, I think liberals have become too comfortable with that kind of, uh, with neoliberal forms of globalization, right? with neoliberal globalization. Uh, you know, if you, as, as, as academics, we look up to the Davos elite, right? Uh, and, and, and their sort of uh, policy positions, and, and that has clearly shown itself to be inadequate, right? It has provoked the kind of populist anger and resentment and reactions that we've seen and that we were talking about earlier. And we really need to find, as liberals, really need to find better ways of coping with the kind of interdependent, interconnected, highly globalized, highly financialized world that we live in. And, and what we try to argue in the book is really we need to marry the benefits, the, the, the virtues of a strong state, of the strong te technocracy that Singapore has, with, you know, the, the virtues of democratic deliberation, of that democratic argument, uh, of democratic participation. Because if you don't do that, the reaction to the kind of strong state paternalism and technocracy in Singapore would be, you know, a kind of uh, a revolt, right? A revolt against uh, expertise. And, 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 and that is why I think even liberals in Singapore can get behind this idea of uh, strengthening both democracy and strengthening uh, state capacity, right, and and and, that, and that's where I'm coming from uh, in the, in this book. Right. So we we are clear about the line of critic of the book. Uh, so I wanted to ask about who does the criticizing, right? 
So I think, uh, Professor Chiran George, you mentioned in one of your books, if I remember correctly, it's the air conditioned nation where even uh, anti PAP people, when they hear foreigners criticizing Singapore, they would rally behind uh, the government. Uh, do you think that line of criticism would apply to you too, since you guys are not in Singapore and it's like you are throwing stones from afar? <laughs> Uh, will that criticism be made against us? Of course, right? Is that criticism right? No, it's not, right? So, <laughs> uh, the, it's, it's natural that, that uh, uh, you know, uh, the mark of anyone who's uh, intellectually lazy is that uh, instead of um, engaging with the arguments, uh, they will, instead of playing the ball, they'll go after the person, right? So if you, if you, if you don't, uh, if you're too lazy to read the stuff and, uh, and develop uh, an, an argument against it, you will instead point out that the person is, uh, you know, whatever, uh, champagne liberal, champagne sorry, champagne socialist, uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, not even in Singapore or whatever, right? Uh, I mean, when I hear such uh, criticism, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I don't really bother because I mean that to me really is just a sign that uh, um, they have uh, not nothing to object to in the substance of what I'm saying, right? Uh, so I must have done something right. Okay. Well, Donald, do you have anything to add? Or? Yeah, no, no, yeah, those. I mean, I, I hear that less. I, I don't hear that very much as a criticism. Right. I mean, the, the the more criticism I hear, more is the liberal bubble that we are in. Uh, champagne socialist is used very often on uh, on me, which I object to vehemently because I don't even like champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they call me a sake socialist, I'll, I'll totally accept that criticism. <laughs> sake, by the way, is a very working man's drink. So. <laughs> Um, the the word ideology ideology came up earlier. Um, I think in your in your opening, um, where you made the case that ideologically, I think I think Donald, you're the one who said this, that ideologically the PAP in some ways is is situated at a place where where policies can be reformed. Um, did I did I hear that right? That you said that. Um, and and I did get the sense reading your book that um, you know you you place quite a lot of focus on the discursive that that you see narratives and ideologies as as important for driving social action. Um, I guess first, you know, I wanted to hear whether you think that reading is right that you that you see ideology ideology as at the center of this, and and then second, I guess I I wanted to first kind of challenge your claim a bit. Yeah, why you say that, um, to, to have you explain a little bit more why you think that some of the policy reforms that are necessary are within, uh, are, are in fact within the ideological reach of the party as, as it stands. Um, and then secondly, when you say ideological change um, as, as needed, uh, or more fundamental ideological change uh, needed, what, what you mean by that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think ideas matter a lot, not just, you know, discrete uh, ideas at the, you know, at the level of individual policies, but meta ideas, right? Uh, and, and of course, you know, 
people who have been reading the work of Kenneth Paul Tan, I know you, you will know that you know for the last well, I would say what 40 years, uh, Singapore has been very much in the grip of this idea of neoliberal globalization, right, or neoliberalism. Even though people may not know that's what it's called, but that's a very distinct ideology that kind of deals with uh, the inequalities and the injustices of of, of you know, highly globalized market capitalism with this idea that, you know, the solution will offer just equality of opportunity, right? This idea of meritocratic opportunity. Uh, and what that has done, you know, this is what Sandel talks about also in the tyranny of merit, right? That what that has produced is a kind of a society of winners and losers, which is legitimized, right? Validated by this meritocratic or, or this idea of equality of opportunity. And Sandel also argues that this populist reaction against globalization is very much a, 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 a resentment, a revolt against this idea that society is just made up of these winners and losers from this meritocratic race. And Sandel basically says our, the way out of this is to kind of dismantle the assumptions that have morally validated this society of winners and losers. And, and of course, you know, meritocracy is as, is, close, is as close as it gets to being a national religion uh, in Singapore, right? That, that, you know, at, at one level, you might say, you know, what alternatives do we have as a, you know, other than merito meritocracy as a sorting device? I, I, can, I, I can agree with that. But the idea that you know, the kind of inequality we, we see in any society, that somehow it becomes just, that it somehow becomes uh, justified by meritocracy, meritocracy uh, and this idea of merit, it's, 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 it's not in the public good, right? It's, it has very disastrous co consequences for solidarity, for social cohesion. Uh, so I think we really need to work a lot harder, uh, both liberals as well as, you know, the technocratic elites in Singapore, at, you know, sort of nuancing, right? Not just nuancing, but actually starting to construct new forms, new ideas, new narratives around what success means, right? Uh, and, and Sandow's idea is, we, you know, equality of opportunity just leads to uh, legitimization, justification of extreme inequality. Uh, equality of outcomes, of, as we saw with socialism, just is incredibly oppressive. Mm -hmm. uh, it's completely unrealistic. So he argues for equality of dignity, right? And equality of condition, right? That all citizens have the means the resources, the support to, le to lead lives of respect, of dignity, of esteem. I think there's a lot to be said about that, right? Uh, we don't have to choose between equality of opportunity and equality of outcomes. That, you know, we really should be striving for this equality of citizenship. Uh, so I think that's the idea that we can all get behind, right? That both, you know, uh, the PAP as well as liberals uh, and progressives, that's something that's worth striving for. Uh, so, so I think you're right. We, you know, stories, I'm a behaviorist. I think societies, people are very much motivated by, uh, or, or, or the make sense of the world through stories, right? Through narratives, uh, through mental models. Um, now, on your point about that the PAP is capable of uh, policy, actually we saw a bit of that, not just a bit, quite a bit of those policy reforms between 2011 and 2015, right? Uh, so every time the PAP gets an electoral shock, one of his responses, even if it's not the primary response, one of his responses is to address those policy, policy issues that have caused uh, people deep grievance, or grievances, right? What, what, what has made people unhappy? So whether in housing or immigration or transport or, you know, uh, uh, wage stagnation, the, P, the PAP really did try to get its act together between 2011 and 2015. And post-2015, you know, 
the, the focus kind of shifted away from this sort of progressive policy reforms to, you know, let, let's try to, you know, get the politics set up in a way that, you know, sustains or uh, ensures the PAP's longer term uh, dominance. And of course, that, that very much backfired. Uh, in, 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 in 2020. So back to your question about tendencies and capacities. I think what's, what, what, what the, the biggest capacity that the PAP has is we've got a very strong technocratic professional service service that if the party decides to pursue liberal, progressive, whether policy or political reforms, you can almost bet your last dollar that Singapore can get it right, right? That, that the, the civil service, the professionals in government would, you know, would, roll it out, would implement it with great professionalism, with great uh, attention to detail. Uh, that's probably the strongest capacity we have, which is why I started out by saying this is Singapore's probably most important uh, comparative advantage in these very challenging and difficult times. Mm -hmm. So there is a question by the audience, uh, which uh, an audience member that's, uh, that asked, uh, do you think your book has given the... Uh, potential BAP candidates an excuse to join the party so that they can reform from within. You know the last famous last words, I want to change something from within. Uh, do you think your book has given them that excuse? Well, if, if it does, and if they uh, uh, are willing to, to work at it, sure. I mean, uh, my... my uh, attitude to uh, participation in politics, uh, you know, is, is genuinely non-partisan and genuinely uh, uh, a-partisan as well. I mean, and any young person uh, who, you know, tells me that uh, they want to get involved and they're willing to do the work and they're willing to engage in causes larger than themselves, I say that's fantastic. And, and, and frankly, whether they, they do it through the PAP or the Workers' Party or through uh, a nonpartisan NGO, you know, Singapore is, is better for it, right? Uh, if, if they're... If they're um, they're doing it for the right reasons and not for sort of material uh, uh, advantage and so on. Singapore is better for it. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, I mean, I, I think this is one thing that um, I guess is, is, a, is, is a, an opportune time to make an important clarification about where we're coming from regarding um, uh, our hopes for the PAP. I mean, like I said at the beginning, you know, uh, some of the most skeptical uh, uh, readers that we have are actually not from the PAP side, it's from the anti-PAP side, right, uh, who I, I suspect almost see it as a betrayal, right, that we are, <laughs> that, that, uh, that we as critics of the government uh, are willing to put across this uh, notion that the PAP uh, should change and, and can change if it wants, because, and, and, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think behind this um, uh, th this feeling that uh, uh, we have somehow betrayed the opposition cause is um, a, a misunderstanding that uh, that politics is uh, is a zero sum game, and that's not how I look at it. Uh, yes, of course, uh, you know, if you are fighting for a seat, it's a zero sum contest. Only one person can win that seat. Uh, but that's not true of politics in a larger sense. Uh, it is not true that um, uh, the opposition uh, will only flower if 
the the PAP disintegrates or, or weakens. In fact, uh, you know, as an opposition supporter, that is that's not. Um, I mean, my own view is that uh, that's not the kind of condition that I would want uh, opposition parties that I support uh, to to grow or to come to power. Uh, because Singapore will not be better for it. I, I would much rather that the opposition uh, grow uh, uh, when uh, against a good, strong PAP, right? Not uh, a bigger or uh, more bullying PAP, certainly not. And then we make a very strong case that the electoral system in Singapore needs to be much fairer, right? Uh, and it is not fair by, by any means right now. Yeah, uh, but to to argue that you know as an op opposition uh, supporter you should wish the worst for the PAP, I think is extremely uh, you know uh, uh, narrow-minded and short-sighted. I mean, again, you know, I can't help uh, bringing up uh, football analogies, right? I mean, a Liverpool needs a Manchester City. A Real Madrid needs a Barcelona. Uh, Real Madrid would not be Real Madrid if it was playing in the Champions League. Uh, in the, sorry, the, the uh, what do you call it? The, the Championship in the second division of English football. Uh, it is where it is because it's got a Barcelona to keep it honest uh, and to keep it competitive. And the same is true of any top-flight uh, uh, EPL side. You will not find, uh, you know, no matter how competitive the EPL is. Did you ever find a top uh, footballer or um, a top manager in the EPL uh, wishing for a more unfair EPL, right? Uh, uh, wishing that its competitors would go away? No, because they know that uh, they are, uh, are be they are a better team, they are better players, precisely because uh, they they have to engage in all-out war, right, <laughs> uh, in a fair way uh, every weekend and sometimes on weekdays, right. Um, so, uh, so that on that, I am very very clear, right. The opposition will be better uh, as the PAP gets better. The and more importantly, of course, that the PAP will get better if the opposition gets better. At the moment, there is a kind of a short-sightedness on both sides of the uh, ideological divide, right? The, with PAP supporters believing that, uh, yes, you know, this is politics, so in order for our side to do well, we must crush the opposition. And the opposition similarly uh, feels that any bad news that hits the PAP is a win for the opposition. Uh, you know, the, the, the worst possible condition in which the uh, opposition uh, would gain power to me would be, in, you know, I, I don't want the opposition, I, I wouldn't want the PAP to, uh, sorry, the opposition to succeed by default. Uh, I would want the opposition uh, to succeed and to grow in strength, um, uh, fighting every step of the way uh, on a fair playing field uh, with a good um, effective, competitive PAP. And to the extent that our book uh, helps the PAP improve, uh, it is good for the PAP, it is good for Singapore, it is good for the opposition. It's, it seems to me uh, the, the description you just gave me. I mean, it's, uh, it's not recognizable to me in terms of what I know about <laughs> politicians. 
in general, not just in Singapore. Uh, it is a zero-sum game for them. And, you know, even with football, you know, players dive and managers try to rig the yeah. system. They whisper in the referee's ears all the time. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's just no... I guess there's no basis of comparison for that in, in reality. Uh, no, let me stick with the analogy. Uh, it is precisely because... Uh, we uh, this let's talk about football, right? So it is precisely because uh, you know we can't uh, always trust players to do the right thing that we have VAR, right? That we have independent referees, that we have strong rules of the game, yeah. Uh, and so yes, of course, this kind of uh, the, the 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 kind of sportsmanship and the competitive, uh, uh, you know, spirit that we want to nurture uh, requires these uh, uh, independent referees, which is why we call for an independent election commission and <laughs> uh, transparent drawing of boundaries and so on. Uh, you know, we cannot count on the players to referee themselves, obviously, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, having said that, you know, the, the, the top teams... Um, and top managers and top players, uh, once they recognize that, in fact, their success, uh, you know, the fact that they are number one, uh, hinges on sound rules, you do find them uh, respecting those rules, right? They're not uh, trying to uh, uh, you know, subvert them, right? They, they, uh, they play along because they know, in fact, uh, you know, even if the rules uh, uh, work against them you know, in, uh, you know, in some minutes of every game that overall all the structure serves them very well, right? So we have time maybe for a couple more questions. Um, I wanted to ask, I asked this briefly earlier about civil society. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you again what you think, I suppose most of us, you know, most of us are not politicians, most of us are not um, among the political elite, right? So um, for people reading the book and who, who want to be engaged citizenry, what are, what are people meant to take from this? You know, what is the action that we can take? What do audiences, what can audiences uh, uh, do to participate in these reforms that, are, that, that, that you've made a case for? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I'm not, uh, uh, I guess... My, my own sense is that uh, that political literacy and um, uh, you know the un, uh, sort of the uh, the um, uh, civic knowledge, civic education in Singapore is uh, somewhat behind, uh, and that is in fact a barrier to uh, Singapore's uh, uh, political maturing. Uh, so there are groups trying to uh, address this, right? So you look at the work of uh, New Narrative, for example, um, uh, and, and other groups, uh, student groups are trying to, to address this. And I think they have correctly identified this uh, as a problem, you know, that um, uh, uh, people do need to understand the, the broader, the, the broader uh, power structure in order to get things done. Um, I, I don't feel that uh, you know, everyone needs to be a political junkie like me, but uh, my, my own feeling is that you know, if you care about an issue, whatever that issue is, uh, and you invest time and energy in it, eventually it does become 
uh, number one, public, and secondly, often political as well, right? Um, I mean, if it's a very, very small project, a small enterprise, maybe not. But at some point, uh, you want to, you will want uh, 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 to make change, and that's when you will run against uh, various forms of power. Yeah, uh, and uh, as you um, uh, navigate those uh, those power structures, uh, you know uh, th that itself is a kind of uh, political education that is uh, is is very important, right? And 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 when people do that, I think it is important uh, to to have this uh, you know bigger objectives in mind. Listen, you know, how, how can I succeed uh, not just on behalf of my own uh, cause or my own narrow community, whether it's an uh, you know linguistic community or a cultural community and so on, uh, how can I see the bigger picture? Yeah? Um, and in particular, to relate it back to what we were um, talking about earlier, um, how, can we, how can we internalize this essential liberal democratic idea that rights are reciprocal? Yeah, uh, I mean, going back to the hard time that uh, you know people give liberals, I think some of that is based on the extreme misconception that being a liberal is somehow selfish and individualistic, and this is based on the idea that yes, it is grounded on individual human rights, but nothing could be further from the truth that a liberal is somehow uh, more selfish than a conservative. I, I was quite the contrary because uh, if you are genuinely liberal, what does that mean? It means uh, uh, a, a commitment to the idea that yes, I have freedom of speech, but I'm equally invested in the freedom of speech whose ideas I hate. Right? That's that's what it means. It, it means that yes, I have my cultural rights, but uh, by the same token, uh, you know, the communities that I look down on or I despise or that I consider unclean, etc., they have their rights too, and I'm as invested in their rights as in mine. Yeah? Uh, so I, I mean, I do hope that these sorts of discussions—I mean, not just our book, but many, uh, the work of many other uh, the scholars—will uh, uh, mature Singaporeans thinking. Uh, in these directions, right? Um, I mentioned earlier that you know uh, across the world, you know, one of the the big developments of the last few decades is a certain kind of democratization. Uh, in Singapore, we've experienced it largely through the uh, the internet. You know, there's this unprecedented ability to uh, to have our say, right? Um, our listening skills have not developed in tandem. Right, uh, we have great respect for our po our own points of view, much less respect for for the points of view that we encounter. Uh, and and unfortunately, in Singapore, uh, the the government is partly to blame because it has not invested in those uh, uh, those values that uh, that that treat. Uh, respect for other points of view um, as, as something that is, uh, you know, uh, worthy of dignity and, and uh, respect as seriously as it should. Um, but you know, let's not use government uh, as an excuse. I mean, these are values that we can internalize ourselves, right? Uh, uh, these are uh, habits that we can nurture um, in our own groups and as individuals as well. Right. So maybe. Uh... Maybe for the final question, I'll ask all three of you, if tomorrow you were in charge of Singapore, what are the three things that you could do immediately, institutionally? Like you don't need years and years to dismantle narrative. Like you could implement tomorrow. What are three things you do, all three of you? Perhaps? Yeah, I better go first before it's taken. Uh, well, 
<laughs> uh, well, I think that, I mean, the, the book covers this. There's things which we think, certainly on the policy front, that can be done quite soon and probably without much public objection, right? I think just simply taxing capital more, right? Capital gains taxes, uh, some form of inheritance tax. That's quite straightforward. I think most people can get behind them. Second, I think very importantly, more universal benefits, right? Singapore desperately needs, I think, a, a, a basic pension for for anybody above, say, 70. Uh, even Hong Kong has that, right? Even though it's very miserly, it's still a symbol of, a token of uh, common citizenship, right? That every Hong Konger, every Hong Kong resident is entitled to this basic pension. Uh, I think it would be very helpful if we had some sort of universal child allowance, right? Or universal child care uh, that would, you know, you know, sort of level the playing field at least at an early age. In terms of uh, political change, what would I say? Uh, I think the, the, the most important, uh, 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 rather than a single reform, I think the, the, the thing I will hope to see would be, you know, just uh, a, a willingness to make our, a commitment to make our politics fairer, right? Uh, a, a, a commitment not to sort of abuse or exploit the already very majoritarian tendencies. I mean, our, our democracy is a very majoritarian, right? A, because Singapore is so homogenous. B, uh, well, homogenous in terms of geography, right? Uh, B, in terms of the GRC system, right? Which tends to lead to, right, uh, very singular party dominance. I think the worst kind of outcome we I envisage for Singapore is in the le two elections from now, the PAP's vote share drops to, say, below 55%, but it still maintains a two-third majority or larger than a two-third majority. I think that's when people will start become feeling very cynical right, uh, of, of how representative, how, how uh, truly democratic, how democratic our, our, our parliament is, right? our political system is. So those will be my three, I think. More than three. <laughs> okay, I'll just I'll, I'll just give two then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the first is, uh, but it, it's, I guess it's quite uh, all encompassing. Uh, you know, it, it's a recognition that the executive branch uh, shouldn't be all powerful. I mean, we have a system of executive dominance uh, based on the idea that uh, uh, government that uh, is not just a co-equal branch, but you know that is uh, um, one level above uh, other state institutions will get the job done. Uh, I think we're reaching the stage where you know it's. Uh, there are, we're seeing the dangers of this, of an over-dominant um, uh, executive branch. Uh, so you really would need across the board, uh, uh, you know, institution building, uh, where, for example, uh, you know, media regulation, which always is necessary, isn't the preserve of the ministers in cabinet, but independent regulatory authorities, uh, and in all other similar fields. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, uh, election regulation. There's no earthly reason why this should continue to be under the Prime Minister's office when democratic best practice says there's, you know, this should be um, a state body that is independent of the uh, government of the, uh, of the day. Right? So in, in practically every sphere that has anything to do with politics, uh, you, there is scope to build um, uh, independent public bodies that uh, ensure that uh, the, um, a, a dominant 
executive uh, doesn't um, become self-serving, right? That um, it is genuinely uh, serving the public interest and not only its own interest. Um, uh, the, the second thing that I would do if I really were in charge of Singapore tomorrow, I would migrate. Sharon! <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust myself to run Singapore. Come off it. Well, then I will say just one thing. <laughs> um, better representation of the actual diversity of our society in decision-making spaces. I think from there will follow the space for much wider. better representation of the actual diversity of our society in decision-making spaces. Because I think from there, you know, if there is a real representation, yeah, from there we'll, we'll follow the space for a wider range of possibilities for what is a successful life and what is flourishing. All right, uh, guys, it's been a lot of pleasure. It's already been more than one and a half hours. I have just one final question for Donald and Sharon. Is there space for one more in Hong Kong? Sure. <laughs> All right, so everyone, you always have space for this several. <laughs> always uh, try to get this book and it will be worth every penny. So thank you so much. And thank thankfully, you. thankfully no one cancelled this event. And thank you, Yuan, for, for Thank you, Ali. Well. Thanks, Arian. <laughs> thank, thank you, you very all. much for this, you. Uh, you so for this opportunity. Thank you.